This is Grace Grit and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace Grit and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. What's one of the biggest challenges almost everyone will face at some point in their lives? Looking for a job. Look, no one jumps out of bed in the morning thinking, oh, I am so excited. I'm going to have so much fun. I get to find a new job today. Whether it's writing or rewriting the resume, trying to heat up a cold professional network, creating and practicing an elevating elevator speech, or preparing for a job interview. But it doesn't have to be that way. My guest today is Emily Liu, who's a career happiness coach and a job search expert. Emily is the founder and CEO of Cultivitae, and she's helped thousands of job seekers make widely successful career transitions, even when they don't have all the skills, experience, education, or the essential go-to network. Emily is committed to helping corporate professionals successfully land their dream jobs so they can wake up happy on Monday mornings. Emily, welcome. I'm so excited you're here. Oh my goodness, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Why is the job search so problematic for so many of us? Why is that? What's really important for professionals who are frustrated and discouraged in the job search process to know is that the system is broken, not you. And I can dive into all of that on a deeper level because I once thought there was something wrong with me, especially when I collected rejection after rejection after rejection. Um, But later when I became a recruiter, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm just not playing the game well. It is a game, isn't it? And there are rules that are unspoken. And I know for so many people, the idea of a job search, one, is overwhelming. And then two, they follow this prescriptive of, I'm going to apply, apply, apply. And it's almost as though they over apply to jobs. Now, I know you've got a background as a recruiter. And didn't you actually write resumes as your college job before you graduated? Talk to me a little bit about how that path of writing resumes to make money when you were in college, has some pocket money, and then becoming a recruiter to where you are now. Can you just take us through that timeline? Yeah, definitely. Um, As a career coach now, when I talk to people who say, I have no idea what I want to do, I always ask them to think back in the moments of their strengths, um, what came naturally to them, what did they feel their gifts were. And, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of times people say, I don't know, or I don't think what I do is all that extraordinary. Um, And that was the case for me. When I was in college, I naturally gravitated towards becoming a writing tutor, um, where I started helping people with their resumes and their essays and um, their college, sorry, their law school applications. And at the time, again, I didn't really think it was anything that special. Um, But as I graduated, I fell into taking any first job that I could because it was the 2009 recession. And I ended up getting a job as a cold calling salesperson, um, really selling online bachelor's degrees to people who input their information on the internet without knowing it was going to be sold to 10 different universities. So a lot of angry people. Um, And I realized, wow, this is not my zone of genius. I do not love and enjoy this. Um, And so for a while, I kind of um, just aimlessly navigated my career. Like I think a lot of us do. I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what's next for me? What job can I get versus which job can I choose? Um, And 
you know, I think life really unfolds in mysterious ways, um, always working for us versus against us. Um, one day I decided to go to a legal staffing agency. They had something called a walk-in Wednesday. I remember walking in and the recruiter that I met with actually said by the end of the interview, you know, Emily, have you ever thought about becoming a recruiter? You have all the skills for it. Um, you have the personality for it. And I loved what she was doing. I was like, wow, you're helping me find a job. Like, that's incredible. And so I ended up becoming um, an executive assistant for the CEO of this large staffing firm. And after six months, I was able to move into becoming a recruiter. And it was here that I was really able to start seeing what successful candidates look like and what successful candidates did and said. and what allowed them to beat out candidates that were actually more qualified for them. Right. And it also helped me really identify what unsuccessful candidates were doing. Um, and again, a lot of them were doing what we were taught in our college career centers, you know, just blindly putting together a resume, a very generic cover letter, and ultimately getting passed up on. Um, and so essentially, after doing recruiting for about six years for startups and Fortune 500 companies, I really wanted to help people understand all of this uh, because, again, I wanted them to know I'm not rejecting you because there's something wrong with you. You're just not playing the game well. Um, and so that's when I decided, well, actually, there's a lot more to this story, but um, <laughs> a big pivotal moment was definitely um, deciding to start helping people write resumes again. I took it to LinkedIn and started reaching out to people who had really generic LinkedIn profiles. And I just said, hey, do you need help? Do you need support? And it was kind of a full circle moment because what I loved doing in college then started becoming like this full-time fledged career. Um, and I actually got to help people with what they didn't even realize they needed support around. Right, right. That's brilliant because we all get into that place with, oh my gosh, what's my passion? And I, I, you know, full disclosure, I know you're training really well. I think you're brilliant. And I love the fact that you say, don't focus so much on the passion, focus on the purpose. Mm -hmm. And when you can allow someone to dig underneath and say, you know, how do you help people? What do people come and ask you for help with? And how do you feel while you're helping them? And what do they thank you for? That is such basic work that I know in your training you do. Um, I love the fact that you also shared, and this is something that I think is so important for everyone, not just job searchers, is for so many people, particularly women, because you know I coach women, I know you coach men and women. To ourselves, we feel like we're nothing special. And it's only when we get input and feedback from others that we begin to realize, oh, I really am good at strategy, or I really am good at design, or I really am good at analytics. And you mentioned that, you know, you had that joy in helping people craft their resumes. And the fact that you were just able to go, you know what, let me reach out to people. Let me start with that place of being helpful is brilliant. And I believe you use that when you talk with the thousands of people you've helped find jobs to start from that place of how do I make things better? How do I help? So let me just ask you, because I want to ask you this a couple of times. I know people are going to want to find out how to find you. What is the easiest way for people who are in a job search or may know of someone who's in a job search to reach out to you to get your expert guidance? Yeah, I actually have a free training called um, How to Land Your Dream Job. Very straightforward. And um, it's a 60-minute training that you can sign up for at cultivateyourcareer.com backslash training. Otherwise, I'm also very active on Instagram and LinkedIn, um, which I think you can include in the show notes, right? Yes, exactly. We're okay. definitely going to put those in with the show notes. Um, I want to ask you too specifically, I want to dive in a little bit to the psychology because Let's just acknowledge right now, um, we see every day in the paper that all of the major corporations are doing massive layoffs. Mm -hmm. um, 
not working in a company for your entire life is really the norm today. Mm -hmm. Having three different careers in one's life, going from one industry to another is the norm today. But in focusing on that psychology of, oh my gosh, I lost my job. I'm not even sure where to start. How would you counsel someone who is in that very first, let's just call it first stage of grief, which could be denial of, oh my God, I lost my job. I don't really know what to do. Yeah. How would you coach that individual? So thank you for bringing this up because it is very important to understand that it's normal to feel shame or embarrassment or guilt or fear um, when an unexpected or even expected layoff takes place. Um, it's always hard when it's not like you were the one to resign, um, but you were kind of at the effect of another person's decision. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that how you're feeling is completely valid and it's completely normal and you are not alone. Um, but to your point, Lisa, there are very different ways that our society has evolved and changed. Um, we used to be in this, you know, our parents' generation may have stayed in a company for 30 years, um, starting as the intern and retiring with a parachute as a VP. Um, but actually, there's studies that show modern day society, um, people will hold at least 11 different jobs. And that's like the average. So there could be a lot more, there could be less, but you will probably change your career multiple, multiple, multiple times throughout your career. And I think that's beautiful. You get to reinvent yourself. Um, honestly, if I had to stay in one job, one company, one function for 30 years, I don't know what I would do with myself. <laughs> Um, so I think if you are laid off, um, whether it was expected or unexpected, the most important thing that you can do is take time to grieve that, like really allow yourself to feel it um, versus suppress it. And, you know, that could look like a week for you. It could look like a month for you, but it really requires you to examine what is within your own control. And what, you know, if there were any lessons there that could have been learned, find those golden nuggets and just know that life is about taking lessons and improving and adjusting and adapting. And I think if anything, civilization has shown that us humans are resilient and highly adaptable. So just know that this is all part of a natural process. Um, again, it's very normal to be laid off, especially with the pandemic and everything that has happened. Um, I always like to say that most people you're interviewing with, like the majority, they will have either been laid off themselves or unemployed or have an employment gap at some time, um, and they can empathize with you and or they know somebody probably very close to them that has gone through exactly what it is that you're going through. So I think um, it's really important to take away that stigma of, oh, no, I'm less marketable because I have an employment gap. And I hear this a lot from job seekers like, you know, I was let go. Should I when should I update my resume and LinkedIn? Can I stretch it out to say I'm still presently working? And I think, again, this is really going to require you to have a paradigm shift in the way that you were taught to believe like in order to be worthy or marketable, you have to be currently working um, to saying, I am just as worthy and just as marketable, even if I'm currently unemployed or in between. Right. There is such a component of doing, uh, you called it the paradigm shift. It's the mindset, right? If you mm -hmm. have that mindset of this horrible thing happened to me, I must be less than. Yeah instead of this is just the way the world is working right now and many people are being impacted by what could possibly be a recession and certainly the pandemic. Um, I love your strategic, but also your very heart-centered approach because this can be a place where people feel, a time when people feel very, I'll just use a heavy phrase here, psychologically uncertain about what steps to take next. Mm -hmm. so I know that you have a very clear methodology 
um, of not only getting people to do that reframe, but also really starting to look at, okay, how do they build their network and what do they do if they go, wow, I don't really have a network. <laughs> and I know you are an expert on LinkedIn yeah, with a really big presence. So if someone came to you and said, well, I, I don't even think I have a network, what would be your first question or exercise for them to start working on either building or acknowledging actually they may have a network? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I'll say to this is there's a really popular saying, like it's all about who you know or um, who knows you, but right. it's actually really in the job search about who you can get to know. And there's oh. been a lot of studies that show it's not your immediate connections or your first degree connections that are going to land you the job. It's actually your looser connections. Um, and it makes a lot of sense because you know, especially if you're making a career pivot, the people that you probably knew um, or know are not necessarily in that circle that you want to break into. Um, but also the amount of people that anybody really knows, um, even like if you're the most extroverted person, <laughs> uh, chances are that pool is quite limited. So this is why I love the power of LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is truly a social media network. I think it's one of the most underrated social media networks. Um, I think everybody's like on Instagram and TikTok, but LinkedIn is really um, incredible if you think about it. Um, you know, even CEOs and huge decision makers, they all have profiles, which means they're all, they're all just one message away, right? Um, so it's not so much like, who do I know right now or who do I not know? It's about who can I get to know in the most genuine, authentic way? And it is really such a wonderful time <laughs> that we live in because if you think about back in the day, you know, even like 10 years ago, you would hope to be in the same elevator or like at the same conference exactly. as somebody that you really want to get to know. But today you get to literally message them from your iPhone or um, from the comforts of your house. And that message will get to them at any time. So yeah. um, for anybody who's looking for like, okay, I don't know anybody, Emily, in my dream industry, my question to you would be, how can you get to know somebody? Right. And this, again, goes back to looking at LinkedIn, um, maybe compiling companies that you really admire, or maybe it's people's profiles that you admire, like they just stand out to you or you're really impressed by their background or you feel like you want to have a similar career path. Um, it's so easy now to just send a very heartfelt message, like a genuine message versus a uh, copy and pasted message um, to let them know that. And again, this is really the beginning of building that connection. So they know, okay, who is this person that's reaching out to me? And if you send them a message that is, again, genuine versus not copied and pasted, and it's the right time in their lives to mentor and support and help, which a lot of people love doing, by the way, um, then that's, that's as easy as it can get when it comes to networking with somebody new or in a different state as you. Right, exactly. What I also wanna reference is because you have the writing background and the recruiting background, and I know you have so clearly, I know you're very focused and you were able, as a, a recruiter, when you first started, you were able to clearly say, oh, this resume is what's getting on someone's desk to set up the interview. And this is the cover letter that's really working. And now through this process of doing all of the trainings and all of your programs, you're able to give your clients a step-by-step strategy that they can follow. And that's what many people, uh, all of us actually need is to work with someone who's an expert like you, because this whole process of a job search, especially with a career transition into another industry, 
can just be daunting. And to have someone who's basically a guide and a coach and an expert like yourself hold the job seeker's hand through the process it is really, I, I mean, it's just so powerful. Um, I know also too that you do a lot of work with um, your clients on how to reframe how they talk about themselves. And we had spoken about this earlier, this concept of imposter syndrome, which so many people and particularly women can suffer from that feeling of, wow, I might've been successful, but someone made a mistake. I'm going to be caught out. They're going to find out I shouldn't be here, or I know I shouldn't be here because my resume is not being, not landing me any uh, interviews. Where do you start on that process with dealing with imposter syndrome? Because I know you've got some amazing strategies to help your clients break through that really negative mindset. Where do you start dealing with that process? So I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, it's really important to know that high achievers typically will experience this. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice to know like, oh, then I must be a high achiever if I'm thinking that. Um, but I would say that with imposter syndrome, I like to ask how how true is it that you were lucky this entire time? You know, some people are like, in their like 10th year in their careers and they're still feeling this. And I was like, don't you think you would have been found out a long time ago? <laughs> like you can't fake it. Like no matter how good of an actor you are, you can't fake it this long. Um, but no, I think it's really important to understand what imposter syndrome comes up, the more experienced and specialized you become. And you know, in the beginning, when I was a career coach, I didn't really have that much imposter syndrome. Um, I, I mean, I did in the initially when I was trying to get my first few clients, I was like, well, I've never done this before. Um, you know, are you sure you're going to trust me? And can I really deliver on what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, that I think you just need to like take the leap and get that feedback and take it as like lessons learned um, rather than going into it thinking I'm the expert, I'm the best at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But now you know, it's been, uh, it's been like six years as a career coach. Today, I experience way more imposter syndrome than I did at the initial beginning in 2016. And it's because I am so immersed in this world of what I'm doing. Um, I'm always studying and reading books and keeping up with the latest that Every time I'm doing that, I'm realizing, wow, there's so much more that I still don't know, right? And it's because, again, it, it's almost like um, an example I gave is when I started traveling in 2016. Yes. I went to like 13 different countries and along the way I would meet people and I'd ask them, where are you coming from? And they would name like some type of city or country that I had never heard of. And I was like, wow, I'm so less traveled than I thought. <laughs> but here I am like on my 13th country where a lot of people, you know, have maybe had two stamps in their passports. Um, so I think that's really important to recognize um, the imposter syndrome typically comes because you are more experienced and specialized um, than your counterparts. And I think it's really powerful to ground yourself in recognizing that. Um, and it's really about not so much beating yourself up for what you haven't yet achieved or experienced. I think a really, a really powerful reframe or mindset shift could be listing out all of the things that you do know, or that you are proud of that you have achieved, um, just to ground yourself back to that. Because I know as a high achiever, you will constantly focus on the next goal, the next goal, the next thing. Um, you'll set a goal, you'll achieve it. And instead of celebrating it, you'll just move on to the next thing. Um, but I think that's why it's so important to go down memory lane and acknowledge yourself. Um, I, I think as um, those that suffer with imposter syndrome, we tend to be the biggest critics of ourselves. We tend to be the hardest on ourselves. And so what can you, what are you not acknowledging yourself 
for? What are you not giving yourself enough credit for? Um, and I think those could be very powerful questions to just reflect on and allow yourself to celebrate everything that you've achieved achieved versus crediting it to just good luck, which right. again, you can only have so much good luck, but to right. me, the, the definition of luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So yes, yeah, there's a there's a um, invisible force of opportunity, but there's also preparation on your part. What did you do to be able to say yes to this or to be able to even open yourself up to these opportunities? That is such an important point that you bring up because we do say things to ourselves that we would never say to our best friends. Definitely. I mean, so we can be so critical of ourselves. So I, I would like to ask, I want to dive into this a little bit deeper because I, we had talked about the concept of selfishness versus self-honoring. Okay. And, um, you know, many times, and some men, but many women fall into this feeling of, oh, um, you know, if I do something that makes myself a priority, that could be perceived by other people as being selfish, mm -hmm. i.e., let me give four weeks notice when I get the new job at the old job. And, you know, two is standard. Or what if somebody comes in at five o'clock at night when I'm ready to leave because I've got commitments after work and they ask me to stay late. And so as women and some men, we sometimes feel like we've got to go above and beyond and do those tasks that are sometimes referenced as not promotable. They don't necessarily improve our professional reputation, but we do them anyway. And we may consider things that, oh, I, I, you know, if I don't give four weeks, I may be seen as selfish. This is another mindset reset. How do you coach around that? Because that's a big one. Yeah, I think when we're talking about selfish versus self-honoring, um, self-honoring is putting yourself, your priorities first. And when we are worried about doing that because we are being perceived as selfish, I think the underlying issue is people-pleasing. And people-pleasing comes from the underlying issue of the fear around being perceived as not good enough or not worthy enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to doing the self-honoring thing, I think that is the most powerful and valuable thing you can do, um, not just for yourself, but for others, because so many of us suffer from people pleasing, <laughs> but it is yeah. quite liberating um, to have somebody who says, no, these are my boundaries. This is what I need. And I am going to train you to respect that. Um, and the, the, the example that's coming to mind is I want my first job out of college. Um, I actually had a boss who was very um, people pleasing, like would constantly be working 60 hours a week, um, really trying to prove themselves to their upper management. And mm -hmm. As a result, I felt like I needed to do the same because wouldn't it be selfish of me to clock out at 40 hours a week? Um, and it really wasn't good for anybody, right? Like we were all burned out and um, just like less happy and less satisfied in the workplace. And then my second job, um, this is where I had a really great mentor named Mandy. Um, she told me, Emily, you're working too late. Um, it's already 5.30. Why are you still here? And then one day she was like, Emily, you need to like start scheduling happy hours, um, like schedule a happy hour at 5 p.m. so that, you know, by 4.30, you need to wrap up and you're going to be so much more productive during the day <laughs> um, so that because, you know, you just got to leave at five. Um, and I was just so like that to me, Mandy was the person who really practiced how to be self-honoring. Um, she knew exactly what her values were, what she prioritized in life. And she allowed me to start putting in better boundaries for myself um, and really understanding 
what were my needs? What do I really want? What would a dream life and a dream career look like? And how do I start creating that? So when I am able to be making the self, when I'm able to make the self-honoring decisions, I'm actually being a great role model and I'm being the best version of myself for everyone else around me. That is brilliant because I think um, what I hear you saying is that every person, whether they're in a job search or not, needs to understand they deserve no less than anyone else. And I think for many women and some men, um, it's that feeling of, I'm so lucky to have this job. Now I need to prove myself. Let me do my 60 hours. Uh, you bring up a really important topic that I'm going to just ask you this question about mentors and sponsors. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to, um, and I know you do work around this, how would you coach a client to actually look for a mentor or a sponsor and actually approach them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I will say that a mentor could actually be somebody that um, you haven't even spoken to. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's actually one by um, a woman named Chris, a coach named Christine Hassler. I've never met her in my life, but I absorb all of the words that in her teachings directly downloaded to me. And uh, to me, I consider her a mentor, even though I've never spoken to her. <laughs> she doesn't know that I exist. Um, so I, I think that mentorship can look like a lot of different ways, as long as you're finding somebody who's influencing you in a positive way um, and you're able to learn from near or afar. Um, but for somebody who's really interested in getting mentorship, I think the best thing that you can do is focus on what can you give to this person. Um, and what I mean by this is, um, you know, I got asked a lot on LinkedIn, um, you know, I, I want to start a career in career coaching. Can I pick your brain? Um, do you mind sharing, like scheduling a time with me for a chat? And it's really hard for me to say yes to all of those. Um, but recently, I had somebody who reached out to me and said, you know, I am really looking to learn from a career coach. Um, I know I don't have as much as experience, as much experience, but here are some of my skill sets. Um, you know, I can do graphic design. I'm a, I can write blog posts, et cetera, et cetera. Would it be possible for me to um, have an hour of your time in exchange for five hours of my time? And to me, that stood out because it really showed like, wow, this person's really hungry for this. It means a lot to them. And I just love like their ability to put others needs first versus like me, 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 which is what a lot of people get. Um, and so I said yes to it. Obviously, I didn't have them do the five hours, um, I, but I at least opened up my calendar for them just to start talking. The second thing that I can recommend, though, um, maybe it doesn't look like necessarily giving something to somebody, but if you do have somebody who is kind enough to say, yeah, I'd love to chat with you, really take notes during that meeting of the advice that they're giving to you and then follow up. I think so many people never follow up after that initial conversation. And as a mentor, we want to help people. We want to know that you're doing well or like what we're doing and our time is actually being utilized in a fruitful way and it's serving you. And so um, how I naturally got mentors throughout my life is I would do exactly that. I would ask for an informational interview. I would gather some notes, some advice, some recommendations. Even if it was like, you know, I recommend you reading this book, I would actually read the book and then I'd follow up with them on my thoughts or further questions and what worked, what didn't work, um, what I was still confused about. And then that naturally evolved into an organic mentorship. That is so brilliant because you're absolutely right. Many people might make that initial connection and then just fall off the radar. And as a mentor, someone like yourself, who's got all this information to share, when someone reaches out and then they just disappear, you wonder what, 
what happened. So again, Emily, just share with our listeners the best way for them to reach you. I know you're on LinkedIn, your Instagram. I know you've got a Facebook page, but what is one way listeners can reach out to you? Yeah, I would say I'm most active on Instagram. That's where I have the most fun. So um, my handle is cultivate. And you can also go to cultivateyourcareer.com if you're interested in checking out the website with all of the other links to the socials. That, that is awesome. Um, let me take a little bit of a more interior turn um, because we talked about biggest challenges. And I'd like to ask you some of the biggest challenges you have faced throughout your career. Well, you started in college writing resumes, you moved into um, the cold calls. And I think being uh, in sales is one of the bravest things I could never do that. (laughs) And becoming a recruiter where someone saw your potential and you like jumped into it to now having your own company, wildly successful, I would say. Not only do you help people make wildly successful career transitions. You have a wildly successful company, but the biggest challenge you faced over the course of your careers and was it internal or external and how did you resolve it? Yeah, um, I would say my biggest challenge has definitely been internal. Um, Going back to selfish versus self-honoring, I am a first gen uh, Chinese American. And so my parents immigrated to America to pursue that American dream. And I really saw how hard they toiled seven days a week, 12 hour days in the restaurant industry. And all, you know, there's a lot that's downloaded to us as children, but you know, it's all to sacrifice for us to have a better life. And Um, You know, I was able to go to college um, in hopes that I would get a big girl job. And I like even in high school and college, they really pushed the traditional prestigious, quote unquote, prestigious um, careers on me, like be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a pharmacist, be an engineer, Um, you know, those careers that were deemed a, a security, um, six figure paycheck, stability, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, that was really hard for me because I really sucked at analytics and like logic. (laughs) So law school was out of the way. Um, I hated math and science. So engineering and doctor were like, no go, no show, um, career paths. And I felt like I had let them down um, because I graduated with a bachelor's in justice studies, which was essentially like social studies. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in in many ways, I felt like I had to choose what was right for me versus just pretending I was happy and or um, studying till three in the morning for something that didn't really light me up. So that was kind of like my first internal struggle of like feeling like I would let them down. And then um, when I became a recruiter, um, I actually had a really terrible boss. Um, And he was like the VP of HR. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Like everything that a boss shouldn't be doing, everything that HR teaches against, he was doing. and. Um, I, I, it was my first time in my career where I went home driving with like tears rolling down my face. Um, it was just such a horrible time, but at the same time, I'm always grateful now looking back for having the worst, I call it the best worst boss because <laughs> I literally came home one day and was like, I'm never going to have a boss again. And I'm never going to like be unhappy on Mondays. And that's, that's really the catalyst of why I do what I do, because I feel like, um, I was in that job way too long. I settled, um, just so afraid of what people were going to think if I quit my job without something lined up, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, but also, um, really, that that immigrant story of like I'm letting down my family I'm letting down my parents um 
my parents would be so disappointed if I left this cushion six-figure job with benefits. Um, and, and so that's what really made me stay far longer than I should have in that job. Um, but it also was the catalyst to um, trying to focus on what would be self-honoring versus selfish. And I realized the self-honoring thing for me would be to find the job that I would be excited about each morning. And um, that was a really big challenge because I left, you know, I'm such a practical person, um, but I left a six-figure job to basically start over (laughs) and start from zero with like zero predictability and income. Um, But, you know, I I think with anything in life, if you keep at it, you're consistent, um, you persevere, um, there's always going to be something better. And especially if you're on the aligned path for you. And so looking back now, I'm so grateful because I've been able to um, satisfy not just myself, but also my parents. My parents are very much happier seeing like I am happier, right? Like I have so much more energy and excitement and um, I was able to enjoy weeknights with them again. And um, I think that's the most important thing that you can do is the self-honoring thing. Uh, that is so important because one, you talked you talked a little bit about work-life balance there, but when we shoehorn ourselves into a role that is not serving us with a boss that is not someone we can model our leadership skills after. In fact, you mentioned this, you said you looked at this person and went, oh, exactly what they're doing is exactly what a leader should not be doing. Mm -hmm. And so many people have found themselves in that role. I love the awareness you have of it's not selfish, it's self-honoring. Because actually being in that place of setting boundaries then you prevent burnout because there's so many studies about being a people pleaser and getting to that point of thinking, well, I should be able to control everything external. Why can't I? It must be my fault that that boss is so horrible. What am I doing wrong? We blame ourselves and then boom, right into burnout. Um, I want to ask you another question that, um, because I know you're an introvert and I am too. And I know we both can present as extroverts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which can be very tiring sometimes. So when you're working with your clients and some of them being introverts, how do you coach them to be able to make that connection? I know you talked about LinkedIn and, and actually reaching out and being in that 2D reality of uh, sending someone a, a text and asking for a 30 minute informational call. But how do you get that mindset of, oh, I'm so uncomfortable reaching out and connecting with someone? How do you teach an introvert to connect? Yeah. So I think there's a large misconception around being an, an introvert. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, we're both introverts, but here we are sharing our message to the entire podcast world or wherever you're listening to your podcast on. (laughs) Um, And so I want to clarify first and foremost, the definition of an introvert versus extrovert. Yes. It's not so much like an introvert is shy and terrible and awkward and um, they just want to be in the basement on their computer all day filing tech support tickets. Um, (laughs) um, An introvert is just as powerful as an extrovert when it comes to leading and having conversations. It's just, it may drain them more so than an extrovert would be drained. Um, An extrovert would actually gather more energy from that exchange, whereas an introvert after the exchange, maybe they just need to, um, in my case, like go home and (laughs) lay down or like have a book and like, don't want to talk to my husband uh, right now. Give me an hour um, and I'll recharge and talk to you again. Um, So I think knowing that you know, that label um, can really, I feel, put a lot of introverts at a a disadvantage because in their minds they think, oh, I'm not as entertaining or as fun as an extrovert. 
Um, so first and foremost, knowing like introvert, you're just as powerful. You're just as entertaining. You're just as um, interesting as an extrovert. Um, but two, I think that goes back to what I said earlier is um, you have to make your big why or your message bigger than your ego. So it's not, again, about, um, oh, no, like my ego is telling me like I shouldn't message this person. I what do I have to say? Who am I uh, compared to this person? I have nothing to offer. I'm not good enough. I'm not interesting enough. Um, again, our ego will tell us all these things to keep us from doing the things that are going to propel us into leveling up and getting new results that are going to change our environment and take us out of our comfort zone. Um, but that's, again, making your message bigger than your ego is, okay, why do I want to connect with this person? Um, what can I offer to this person? How can I add value here? What? And by the way, I think, especially for those that are entry level or making a career transition, you might feel like I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to nothing of value to share with this other person, but I want to give you the perspective that people don't get enough acknowledgement and recognition, especially yeah. in the workplace. So, yeah. um, and I know you're, a, you're a pro, unless you work with Lisa, you will get recognition and, uh, <laughs> you'll get recognition. But, um, what I will say is, uh, even a compliment, even a genuine like this, I, I would love to connect with you for these reasons. Um, that can say a lot and mean a lot to somebody. Um, I talk to people all the time that are like, I just like helping people. I just want to help people. And it goes to show that most people, when they are able to receive that feeling of wow, I really helped another person today. I really impacted somebody today. I really left a positive um, footprint. Like that's a gift. Yes. And so again, it's not so much like you're giving somebody five hours of your time or you're um, delivering X, Y, Z to them. You, you may just be able to give that person the gift of mentorship. And so many people want that. Um, I'll also share like a lot of the people that I talk to, a lot of professionals in the mid, especially mid-level, they want to like learn how to manage people. Um, they want to become managers, but they haven't had that formal experience. But I wouldn't discount like your ability to mentor. And to, that could be a really great, experience to share during interviews. You know, um, mentorship comes very naturally to me. Um, I love helping people with advice and direction, X, Y, Z. Um, you know, all of these things is going to help the other person as well. I love that. I mean, you, you called yourself practical too, but you're practical and strategic because you really did hit the heart of what it is to connect with someone when you're reaching out to someone who you'd like to make a connection with and maybe possibly be mentored by them, if you approach them as the, I see you as an expert, I'd love to ask you a few questions, of course they're gonna respond positively. And on the other side of this, as someone who maybe has not ever managed people, but they could start leading people by finding people to mentor. Definitely. And it's such, um, I just love your practical and very strategic approach. So just share one more time. The Besides being on LinkedIn and Instagram, and I have to say, Emily, I love you on Instagram, but how should listeners reach out to you? If there um, was one way they could reach out to you, what's, what's the primary way that you'd recommend? Well, thank you for saying that because I love your LinkedIn and I've seen that video of yours about the alpha in the room. Um, <laughs> it was so incredible, but um, okay. So how to reach me? I'm just on Instagram and LinkedIn primarily. So Instagram is at Cultivate. And then my LinkedIn is just my name, Emily Liu, L-I-O-U. Great. And then you've also got a free training that's cultivateyourcareer.com backslash training. And for anybody who is looking for a job right now, go do that today. The minute you hear this podcast, go to Emily's free training because as I said, she's practical, she's strategic. She knows 
how to get your resume to float up, not through an online, uh, what, what would you call it an online portal? Because everybody's really uh, applying that way and people are getting lost in the mix. But Emily has so many strategies and techniques and a proven method. Yeah, this is really the seven C's to landing your dream job, even when you don't have the skills, the experience, the qualifications or go to network. So if you really want like the step-by-step breakdown of um, how to get more visible and stand out of the pile and to your point, not get lost in that black hole of applying online, um, then this training will definitely be worth your time. Awesome. Say the name of full name of the training again. It's cultivateyourcareer.com backslash training. Fantastic. Oh, Emily, this has been my pleasure. Um, let me just end with this one last question. What, what, what's coming up next? What's the next big thing for you? Is it another, um, is it a book? Is it a speaking engagement? Is it another program? I, yeah, um, I'm actually in 2023 deciding to create a clarity course. So um, a lot of job seekers say, yeah, like I want to find a new job, but what do I do? What, a, like what career is the right career for me? Um, what am I good at? Or what am I qualified for? What am I interested in? Um, essentially, if you don't know like what your next career path is, what I'm hearing is I don't know who I am. And um, I, that's what I want to drive at next is like, how do you figure out who you are and what are those roles and career paths that will allow you to express the full version of yourself? Oh my gosh, that that is amazing because I don't think a book like that has really been written. And this, let me just age myself, since what color is your parachute? And what was that? Nineties. <laughs> I think that was the nineties. Um, yeah, Emily, this was my pleasure today. I so appreciate you. Um, the, your strategic practical approach that has helped thousands of people successfully make career transitions or stay in their industry and land that job so that they can wake up on Monday mornings and feel happy. Yeah, thank you. Thank so you. It was such a pleasure as always, Lisa. Oh, my honor today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach, lisa at bigsky dot coach. Thanks for listening.